welcome back to the Brown Surgery Podcast. Today we're going to continue our Quick Shot Podcast series on the basics of fluid resuscitation. Joining me today is Dr. Michael Connolly. Mike is an Associate Professor of Surgery here at Brown and one of our Trauma Critical Care faculty. All right, so I'd like to welcome Dr. Michael Connolly to the podcast today. The topic today is just to get across how we should approach fluid resuscitation in someone with shock. So when you think about fluid resuscitation uh, for your patients, Dr. Connolly, how do you approach it? Well, you know, in surgery, we're going to see mostly patients with sepsis and with hemorrhage. And I think for those patients, they're almost always going to have some degree of hypovolemia. And so one of the very important parts of resuscitation is restoring an adequate intravascular volume so that the heart can pump. (laughs) Figuring out what that volume is and what that point of ideal resuscitation is 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 challenging. Uh, But I think that's, that's our goal when we're trying to figure out how to give IV fluids. So how would you define an ideal resuscitation fluid? So resuscitation fluid is something that uh, you know, in a perfect world, it would give us a predictable and sustained increase in intravascular volume uh, for our patients who are hypovolemic. Composition ideally is similar to extracellular fluid. It's metabolized and completely excreted without accumulation in tissues, and hopefully should not produce any adverse metabolic or systemic effects, and it needs to be cost-effective. Two traditional choices we've had have been normal saline and lactated ringers. There's been a lot of research around these two fluids. I'm not sure any of it is so convincing that I can tell you there's an absolute right answer to that. Uh, but I will say that there is evidence out there suggesting that uh, solutions high in chloride can worsen outcomes, particularly when it comes to renal function and some other uh, outcomes. So I will generally pick lactated ringers as my uh, initial fluid of choice because it has much lower chloride content. That is something that I'm pretty passionate about in the ICU is avoiding the hypochloremia because many of these patients, if they need a lot of resuscitation, uh, are often going to have some kidney injury. And if I can avoid adding any kidney injury by having an elevated chloride level. I think that is is a bonus. So I will generally pick LR as my go-to fluid resuscitation. So when you do have a patient who's hypotensive and you're reaching for uh, LR to give them a bolus of fluids, how do you like to approach that? Are you giving them 500 cc's? Are you giving them a liter? Are you strictly sticking to the 30 cc's per kilogram? It's a good question. Uh, I think dosing is important. I think we often don't consider... Uh, IV fluid as a medication, but it really should be considered as a medication. It should, it should be dosed just right. You don't want to give too little. You don't want to give too much. Again, obviously, it's very difficult sometimes to determine that. Uh, and thankfully, there is a big therapeutic window, but we should really be thinking about appropriate dosing. So it starts, for me, with trying to determine you know, how much of a loss my patient is at. And that can be tricky. Uh, we're gonna we'll do things to assess their degree of hypoperfusion. So looking at things like their acidosis, a lactate level, you know, their pressure requirement, how much fluid they've gotten so far. What was their, you know, operation? If this was a one-hour operation to fix a perforated duodenal ulcer, that might be different than a six-hour open aneurysm repair uh, with a, you know three liters of blood loss. And so all those factors have to go into account when you're preparing to pick what dose of fluid you want to give. But then again, I kind of keep it simple. If I feel like somebody needs a bolus and needs some fluid, I will generally give them, start with a liter of fluid. For certain groups of patients, there's, there's a lot of fear about overloading patients. I think that is probably overblown in most surgical patients. If you go to the CCU and you give somebody 500 cc's of fluid, you can kick them into heart failure. But most patients who have survived and gotten through their surgery have enough cardiac function that 
Um, you need to challenge them to see if this flu is going to make a difference. And so for me, I generally won't reach for anything smaller than a liter if I'm going to bowl to somebody. If they're, if they're so close to being adequately resuscitated that I think 500 is going to be enough, I, I probably not even be bolusing them in the first place. So if I feel like a patient is so far behind that I need to give a bolus to catch up, then I'm going to usually start with a liter. And then the important part of that is not just giving a liter and walking away, but giving a liter and assessing your response to that. Did that patient's... Uh, pressure requirement come down? Did their urine output pick up? Did their mental status improve? Did all the, the markers of resuscitation that we use, did we see some benefits with that therapy? And then if we did not, is it because we didn't give enough therapy or is it because the patient's already maxed in what that fluid is going to do for them and we need to start thinking about other ways of maintaining perfusion and resuscitating this patient? Uh, if I find myself feeling that the patient's many liters down and I'm giving multiple boluses, uh, I'm not going to just keep their IV fluid rate at 100. I think um, I think the 4-2-1 rule that determine somebody's maintenance rate is probably outdated. If I give a bolus, I'll turn their IV fluids up as well. And ideally, I'd rather be achieving this adequate perfusion with a steady rate of IV fluid rather than constant bolusing. There is some concern that you know bolusing will increase cardiac stretch, will increase some chances for edema, and it's probably not the best way to give fluids, but sometimes we need to bolus in order to get close or get caught up. So that's where I start. If I bolus, I generally would then turn the IV, the basal rate up as well. I think what you're talking about sort of gets at this concept that I think has been written about fairly frequently over the last couple of years, this concept of rose resuscitation, optimization, stabilization, and evacuation. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I think as you said, rose is resuscitation, optimization, stabilization, and evacuation. Those stages are going to last different amounts of times in each patient. Uh, when you're in the resuscitation phase, you're kind of actively giving them fluid, but you're, again, assessing the patient's response to that fluid. So no one should be giving a liter or two or three and really not doing something to try to assess whether what, what you did helped. That may mean checking labs. It may mean checking your flow track or a swan to see if you've made an improvement in cardiac output. If you're slick like Dr. Kierbeck and you can throw the ultrasound probe on and do an echo, that may be a way of doing it. So there is a variety of ways but the most important thing is that you have a way that you're going to assess the patient's responsiveness to that IV fluid. Because at some point, you're going to have patients that more fluid simply isn't going to make them better. And then you need to come up with a different plan. Too often, I see residents just continuing to get fluids, get fluids, get fluids, even when there's been no response. And that just increases your risk of complications from those fluids. So things like abdominal compartment syndrome, edema, you know, potential problems with anastomoses, prolonged ventilator requirements, and a whole host of other things. I just think it's very important to make sure that this is a, dy a dynamic process where you're constantly uh, assessing and reassessing. So eventually you get through that resuscitation phase, hopefully you're now optimizing, and eventually uh, now the patient's stable, and you're going to start hopefully being able to wean that IV fluids. I think one of the things we've been that we're really not very good at in surgery is making that assessment it's time to start turning the fluids down and anticipating that chance to turn fluids down and start to evacuate the fluid from the patient. Uh, I come in quite frequently on rounds and the patient's been making you know 100 cc's an hour of urine, their mental status is good, they're off pressors, and yet we're still on the same IV fluid rate. And I, I have really become much more aggressive over the years in trying to use less fluid than more fluid. We should be trying to resuscitate with the least amount of fluid possible. We're trying to get patients back to euvolemia. How do you, what is euvolemia? Well, that's somewhat in the eye of the beholder, somewhat difficult to 
to make that assessment, but we should not be pushing patients to hypervolemia. So one of the things I hear about all the time around is, well, the patient's creatinine went up, so we kept bolusing. Creatinine is not a marker of acute resuscitation. It is not something we should be making hour-to-hour -hour, uh, decisions on whether to be bolusing patients. If patients develop ATN, their, their creatinine is going to go up, and giving them more fluid past euvolemia will make their creatinine go up less, but it's not going to actually help the patient any. In fact, may hurt the patient. We need to get to euvolemia, meaning we need to get to a, the, the appropriate intravascular volume that allows the heart to pump most efficiently and deliver oxygen most efficiently to restore perfusion in that patient. I think you're alluding to it now is like, when, when should we consider stopping fluids on our patients and moving to that evacuation stage? Is it a, a time 24 hours out, 12 hours, 48 hours? No, there's no time. And I think that's a, that's a huge mistake that we often make in surgeries. Each patient's different, you know, and it may be six hours, maybe, 12, maybe 48 hours. Um, and so to me, you have to look at all the tools in, in your toolbox to make that assessment about whether somebody's been adequately resuscitated or not. If you're not sure or you're getting close or you think you're doing better, well, turn the fluids down and see what happens. If, if you turn your fluids from 200 cc's an hour to 150 cc's an hour for three hours, no one's dying from that extra 150 cc's you haven't given them. But it's always reasonable as you're starting to make some progress uh, and you start to see things going in the right direction, it's not unreasonable to turn your fluids down and see if they, if you continue to improve. I will tell you most of the time is that patient's acidosis is getting better, the pressure requirement is getting better, the lactate is getting better. There's room to turn the fluids down even though they're not perfect yet. And I think for me that the process is, you know, resuscitate them, feel like you've gotten stable, start to turn their fluids down, and then maybe a little after that is when you might consider diuresis. I wouldn't go from 200 cc's an hour to giving Lasix. To me, it's a gradual decrease in IV fluid rate and then, you know, eventually be off. But one of the things we'll talk about around a lot when I'm on is that uh, this concept of a maintenance rate is, is an interesting concept. Maintenance rate is probably a bad term. Uh, I think we should be talking, we should be giving patients hourly, hourly, the IV fluid rate that they need to maintain adequate perfusion. In somebody who's just come out of the OR of perforated diverticulitis, that might be 250 cc's an hour. But that same person three days from now, as they've been resolving, their necessary maintenance rate might be negative, right? They might need to get fluid off. And so just because you're MPO doesn't mean you need to be on 100 cc's an hour of IV fluids. I think you need to make that assessment, be willing to turn their fluids down earlier than I think we often do. If this was, you know, if this was an infection and they've cleared their infection, you wouldn't keep the zosin going. You, you wouldn't keep the pressure going when their blood pressure is better. So if they don't need the fluid, you should be willing to turn it down. So nobody should just be 100 cc's all the time. And you have to make that assessment to determine do I need more or less fluid? Just because inquiring minds want to know, does albumin fall anywhere in the <laughs> resuscitation algorithm? Uh, are Dr. Chaffee and Dr. Adams listening? Or uh, um, yeah, it's it, it, I don't know is the short answer. There's no absolutely convincing evidence that albumin is beneficial. And amazingly, it's been studied many, many times. If we all want, I want to believe that albumin is a better resuscitation fluid. I've just not been able to convince myself 100% that that is a true statement. I think what the SAFE trial has done and what some other trials have done, to me, has suggested that albumin is not dangerous. 
or bad. Uh, I think some of the things that we used to use, um, some of the head of starches and other things that were gelatins and things like that, those do actually increase renal failure worse than outcomes. And so the only colloid I would consider using is albumin. I think if you really, truly wanted to follow the literature, and again, there's some newer stuff coming that maybe there's some benefit, but it is not 100% clear to me that it's a good choice. So if you want to just mention some take-home points for residents out there who are going to approach a patient in shock who need to start fluid resuscitating them, what would those take-home points be? Yeah, so the first is, remember, IV fluid is a drug, so you got to pick the right drug. Again, for me, it's going to be LR, just as a simple way. We will use normal saline in head-injured patients or and or switching over to plasma light. I've really grown to believe in this low-chloride resuscitation is a good way to go. Second, then, is figuring out your dosing. You know, what is the dosing of the drug that you want to give? And that is based on history and, and how much volume loss do you think your patient is at. Sometimes you have to make a guess up front. And then as you start resuscitating, it's very important to follow your patient and see how your therapies are, are affecting the patient. So if they are improving, you can start backing off. If they're not, you may need to do more. So it should be a frequent assessment and reassessment of the response to your therapy. And then, you know, and finally, you know, de-resuscitation, de-escalation, once they have improved, it's time to start turning the fluids down. You know, and, and improvement, again, is, is someone, eye of the beholder, it can be a little bit tricky to determine. The best thing to do is just to, to try, as you've made, if you stabilize and getting better, try turning the fluids down and see how, how they do. And if they do well, turn it down more. I would tell you this, we over-resuscitate patients still in surgery. You're unlikely to, if you've gotten through to the stabilization phase, it is unlikely that you're going to create a real problem by de-escalating your fluids in your patients uh, because I think we tend to do too much. If you de-escalate and the patient doesn't do well with that, I think that is often a sign to me, hey, there's still something else wrong here. Either I have an ongoing infectious source my anastomosis is leaking. You know, if I have a patient who has a fluid requirement on day six after a colectomy, that is extremely unusual. So to me, that I have to go searching for what the other underlying problem is. As soon as I hit stabilization, I'm considering de-escalation. And then I just do that slowly and stepwise and see if the patient responds to that and uh, how those uh, resuscitation parameters are affected. And if they continue to get better or stay stable as I de-escalate, then I'm going to keep de-escalating. I appreciate you joining us today to go over this concept. I think fluid resuscitation is something every resident uh, is up against every day in this institution, so I think they'll find this helpful. Thanks for your time. Thanks again to Dr. Michael Connolly for joining us today on this discussion on fluid resuscitation. Please stay tuned for more of these Quick Shot podcast episodes in the coming weeks. For the next episode, we will explore the sedation management in critically ill patients. If you have ideas for other discussions, please email me. The link to my address is in the comment section below. Thanks for being here, and I'm looking forward to having you back with us in the next episode.